we come today and we hear these words from our blessed Lord that honestly are kind of hard things for us to hear to some degree. Whoever loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves sons and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross is not worthy of me. And these are hard things to hear for us uh, at times, because indeed we, we love our family. We love those entrusted to us. We love those that the Lord has blessed us to, to know or to be born from or to give birth to. And so there's a sense in which it is a difficulty to be able to choose the Lord over our family. And yet, this is what Christ calls us to do, is not to allow anything even those who are most cherished in this earthly life, to be able to come before him. And this is, again, a great task. It involves much dying to self throughout the course of our life. And this is what we hear really are the fruits of our baptism. It's the event of our baptism that makes that possible. Because to be able to, to set God above all things is essentially to take everything that the world believes and to flip it upside down. Usually the Lord kind of, you know, when, it, when, when the world would, would pursue things of the Lord, uh, at least our present culture today, so much of it is you, you've got your, you know, your family, you've got your friends, you've got your work, you've got your hobbies, you've got all these things. And if you have times, and if you're that kind of person that has that kind of desire, you know, God fits into the last piece of the puzzle, sometimes in the bottom, whenever you have free time on Sunday. But in fact, we're called to have him first and foremost and everything else to follow in line behind him. It is to live a life entirely focused upon him above all things. And this is, again, the call of our baptism. St. Paul doesn't mince in words whenever he speaks about baptism and the reality of it. It is death. Says, Do not be unaware that we have died with Christ when we were immersed in the water, or when the water was poured upon our head, and that reality, something of us died, and someone new came to be. We are new creations, the Catechism reminds us, by virtue of our baptism. We are made children of God by virtue of our adoption in Christ. Something new is present there because of our baptism. The fact is that most of us were baptized when we were children, infants, in fact. And so it didn't seem to be a radical transformation, a radical conversion of us, something new having been made. Because the fact is that when we're, when we're little things, when we're little, uh, little innocent, uh, re relatively innocent children, we're not getting into that much trouble so that there's a radical conversion that you see and be like, wow, my, my child, they, they really cleaned up their act, you know? They, They've, they've gotten their stuff together now. I've never heard a parent speak about that of their child after having been baptized. It's the fact that they seem pretty okay at that point. And so baptism doesn't seem to have that great of an effect, but it does. It has a most profound effect. The effects of baptism upon us transform us in a way that, that we don't always kind of understand and comprehend in our youth. But the fact is that it calls us, nonetheless, to a death for the love of Jesus. And this is our invitation, is, is if indeed we have been baptized in Christ as little ones, we've not had the opportunity to, to profess our faith and, and to repent of all of our sin, and then to be baptized as adults. 
but it calls us still to pursue a death in Christ because that death has already happened. It is a fact. We have been buried with him. And when we rise, we are raised up with him. And so it's for us to participate in this death and resurrection of Christ, not just on the last day, but even now in the everyday manner of our earthly life, to put ourselves to death in so many ways, but first and foremost with regards to sin. Sin, St. Paul reminds us today, has no place in us. Death no longer has power, he tells us. The wages of sin is death. So sin has no place. That doesn't mean that none of us sin. That would be fantastic, but it's not reality. All of us indeed sin, but it's to ensure that, death, that sin does not have a place to stay, that we are not comfortable with our sin, that we're not okay with our sin, even in the smallest of sins, that we don't allow it to stay, but rather that we continually fight against it, even if we fight uh, with only half hearts, even if we fight, you know, kind of, you know, uh, here and there, even if we fight in, in whatever manner that we might see is kind of inadequate, it is nonetheless still to fight, to fight against sin in our life, to fight also and to put to death the reality of self-will and our self-centered, self-centered focus in whatever way they manifest themselves in our life. It was to ensure that we live for Christ, that we live for his life, the newness of life, that we live in his grace and his peace. So this is what we ask of our blessed Lord, is to help us to continue to be converted more and more perfectly to himself, to be able to repent of our sins, to turn away from our sins, and to give more and more of ourself by dying to live for Christ. I was reflecting on this, particularly in light of, of just the, the rites of the church. In my own ordination, this uh, reflection uh, that, I'd, that I'd been reflecting beforehand of, of how whenever a priest, whenever a man goes to be ordained, he lies down on the, on the floor of the sanctuary, and, and there he prays, and the church prays with him and prays for him, invoking the saints and invoking the mercy of God that the man would be able to become a priest. And I remember uh, as I was lying on the floor and just weeping uh, on account of the fact of, of knowing, like grieving, that I have died, that, that Brent, Brent is no longer just Brent. He's a priest. That there is, there is something different that is expected now. A death has taken place here. A death even more than, than I was at, at that point willing to have, have risked just in my ordinary life as a baptized Christian. And so it's this fact that, that that moment was a death for me. In religious communities, this, this understanding of, of death at the, at the final vows is oftentimes even more prominent. In a number of communities, they still stick with a traditional posture that, that uh, a brother or sister who is receiving their, their final profession of vows, who's making final vows, to say that they're in it until death do I part into the earthly life, they will lie down on the floor as well, and their community will come and lay the funeral pall on top of them. And rather than a litany being sung, they toll the death toll in the tower bells to say, this one is dead. They've died. And someone new will be here when we pull back the veil of the, fu- of the funeral pall. A new one in Christ. I was reflecting on that and, and thinking how, how fantastic it would be for brides and grooms to be able to do the same to be able to come to the front of the church and, and lie prostrate on the front of the church on the floor and to be covered in a funeral pall. 
I'm not too sure many brides would be a fan of that, uh, with, the, with the dress and all this kind of thing. And I think there's already, just culturally speaking, enough connotations between weddings and funerals, in a sense. But there's a, the fact that, that a husband and wife, as they, as they approach the holy altar of God to profess their vows to one another, it should be a same understanding. There's a death that takes place, a death to one's own will as an individual, that one no longer chooses as I, but always as we. There's a death that takes place there. And even if, symbolically, there's not a, a prostration on the floor in front of the sanctuary, there is nonetheless the kneeling before the altar of God to profess these things. It is a, a similar symbolic action of submitting oneself to the Lord first and foremost. And so it's this death that the Lord invites us to, every last one of us, in some particular way, in concrete ways. And so it's for us to ask him today, what does that look like for me? What is it in me, each one of us should ask, that needs to die to self? Is it sin? Is it selfishness? Is it our will, our plans, our desires, our thoughts, our expectations? Is it the way we interact with the Lord or don't? What is it that needs to be put to death, to be buried, that we might be able to live in that fullness of the newness of Christ's life that he intends for us? And as we offer this Holy Mass and receive the gift of Holy Communion once more, to pray that that grace will strengthen us to do those things, to take whatever it is that is entrusted to us to put to death, to bury behind us, and to do it for the glory of God.